It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, internet-only call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 93 or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's Word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And welcome into the Virtual Bible Study. We're glad you're a part of it. Tonight is August 27th, 2009. We're live on your computer, and we look forward to you joining us tonight with your phone calls at 877-381-4567 or your emails, questions at collegeview.com. And you can also join in the discussion tonight with other listeners who are in the chat room tonight. Follow the instructions that are on your screen, and you can join in with other listeners in the program tonight. My name is Jacob Gwynn. My father, Greg Gwynn, is back after a week of absence. Hello, Dad. Welcome back to the program. Jacob, great to be with you on the Virtual Bible Study tonight. And uh, as always, we appreciate those who are listening and uh, participating in our weekly Internet Bible Study group, and uh, hope we have some important and valuable things to say tonight. We do uh, hope that uh, you will benefit from our discussion tonight. We have an interesting discussion tonight. We're going to, uh, well, according to one person, we're going to do the impossible tonight. Uh, a Baptist That's pretty preacher, good. It's always good if you can do the impossible. Well, a Baptist preacher in Memphis, Tennessee, has uh, said that there are questions, 13 in fact, he has enumerated, that the Church of Christ a Church of Christ preacher cannot clearly answer. And yeah, so, he wrote, he wrote a, an essay, and it's out there on the Internet. Uh, I think it's been out there for a while, but we just recently became aware of it. And it's entitled, Common Sense Questions a Church of Christ Preacher Cannot Clearly Answer. He's, well, we'll accept that challenge. He it's, says, though, if we try to answer them, quote, if you ask one of these preachers any of the questions in this track, you won't get a straight answer due to their screwball theology. You'll have them in hot water, swimming in circles, trying to explain their heretical positions. They'll be hopping all over the pond because they can't stay too long in one spot without sinking in the mire of their false doctrine. So, Those are pretty strong words. And, and, and I think as we read through the questions and some of the comments that uh, this, this guy's name, by the way, is David Martin. He calls himself Pastor David Martin of the Solid Rock Baptist Church in Bartlett, Tennessee. Um, and he and in this essay he gives his credentials a 1984 graduate of the Pensacola Bible Institute of Florida ordained to the gospel ministry in 1986 so he's not a novice uh he's been in his current pastorate for 8 years it says he's done he claims to have done an in-depth personal conversation with the church of christ elder that led to a 3-day public debate uh with the church of christ evangelist in 1997 attended by 250 people so anyway uh, we're going to see that he uses some pretty strong language, Jacob, uh, and and we're not. I mean, we're not offended by it. We we take whatever strong language someone wants to offer, but some some of it is is inflammatory and is not fair and is actually based upon false reporting. And I wanted to read before we get into some of that. I wanted to read what a listener uh, Garland, a listener in East Tennessee, has written. He says this man demonstrates a very misguided view of the church, and then he mentions some specifics. Um, he says, I think it's easy for us to make the same mistake that this guy makes. We can take the most ridiculous articulation of a position 
and then he mentioned some of his, and beat up on it to make ourselves feel good about our doctrine. We should seek out the best at articulating an opposing position and try to honestly deal with them. So I, I, I just wanted to mention what Garland had written there because I think it is important for us to make sure that we maintain a high level, uh, that we deal fairly with people's objections and questions. If we disagree, we do so in an honorable way and, and, and in, a, in the kind of spirit and attitude that Jesus himself would have us well, do. Right off from looking at this, by him calling someone a screwball and uh, that they're going to dance all over the place, if you've got the truth, first off, you don't have to you don't have to resort to tactics like this because uh, if you're and if you're defending the truth and if you're if you honestly want the truth to be exposed, you don't have to uh, get down on the level that he has right off the start gotten off on here. Yeah. And so uh, we're, we're not, not going to do that tonight. We're not going to do that. And like I said, that's okay. I mean, if he wants to do that, we're not offended by it. We'll deal with it. But I, I don't think it's the kind of spirit that the Lord would have us to manifest, even to those that that we disagree with. And so we're going to try to answer his objections. And uh, I hope that you listeners will not be terribly put off by the way he addresses his objections, but we'll just try to deal with them. We've got 13 questions tonight, and the, the link is in the chat room. If you'd like to follow the link to these uh, questions, it is in the chat room tonight. You can find it there. We'll enumerate the questions before we answer them, and we'd like you to join in on the discussion at 877-381-4567, questions at collegeview. Let me read that link to those who are listening and may not be able to see the, the, the video link. Uh, if you're listening and you want to go to this article, this essay that David Martin has written, it's www.biblebelievers.com. That's pretty easy. Biblebelievers.com slash David, under, uh, David Martin, David underscore Martin slash Martin underscore church dash Christ. HTML. But I think if you probably went to that BibleBelievers.com. It's and, on the left-hand side. In the column on the left-hand side at the very bottom, it says Churches of Christ or Church of Christ, and you can find it there. Yeah, yeah. All right, we're going to get in quick because we have 13 questions to go and an hour to do them, and so we hope you'll hold on tight and you'll join in if something comes to mind over the phone or over email tonight and to, in the chat room as well. To our update list today, Jacob, earlier, we did not ask any questions, but we did provide this link, and so you may have already looked at it and have some response to some specific questions. And we're going to try to deal with them one at a time. So when we get to one, if you want to comment about that, either send us an email. and But highlight, say, question number three or question number eight. If you call us, tell us what number you want to talk about so that we can get to you when we're talking about that question. Once we get past that question, we're not going to be able to go back, Jake. All right. And the phone would be the best way to get through tonight since we're going to be going rapid succession. If you see the point that you want to talk about come up, Call in, and we'll be glad to let you talk, and uh, we look forward to hearing from you. The first question tonight uh, from his questions for us that we will not be able to answer because we have screwball theology. Number one, according to the history of the Church of Christ, God used certain men to restore the New Testament church in the early 1800s. Where was the New Testament church before then? Jesus said that the gates of hell would not prevail against his church in Matthew 16, verse 18. What happened to the church, and where was the truth it was responsible for preaching before God restored it. Your answer to that question that uh, he says you will not be able to answer. Well, I believe the church always existed. We never, we never said that it stopped existing. Obviously, men, some men, a lot of men, had gotten far away from the biblical pattern of, of uh, New Testament Christianity. And therefore, there was a movement to say, let's get back to the Bible, to try and get lots of people to go back to the Bible. But no one ever suggested that the church had ceased to exist or that there weren't faithful brethren 
brothers and sisters in in various parts of the world practicing true religion. It was an effort to get people back to the Bible, not to restore the Bible itself and the biblical Christianity. My question uh, would be for this uh, Baptist preacher, for uh, David Martin, is where was the Baptist church in the first century? Let's go back even farther. Let's go back to the first century. I can't read about a Baptist church in the first century. We're trying to follow the New Testament Christianity like we read about it in the New Testament. And in fact, I don't see the Baptist church anywhere in the New Testament. No, in other words, what you're saying, Jacob, is we're trying to, to be a church like the church we read about in the New Testament. That's it. We're not, we're not professing any allegiance to any movement, to any specific religious leaders. In some of these questions, Jacob, he's going to mention us as, refer to us as Campbellites. And that's a reference to Alexander Campbell. And Alexander Campbell was a religious teacher in the, in the early to mid-1800s. And his, his emphasis was, let's try to get people to go back to the Bible. He wasn't right on everything. We don't profess any individual allegiance to Alexander Campbell. He wasn't right about everything. He was wrong on some points. But the idea of getting back to the Bible, basing all of our teaching and practice on what the Bible teaches, that's a noble thing. Everybody should do that. David Martin should do that. And if he did, as you said, he would get out of the Baptist church because you can't read about the Baptist church in the Bible either. But we believe that the true, the true believers and, and the church of our Lord Jesus Christ continue to exist through all ages because the Bible promised that it would. We don't have a full history on all that. You know, there was a period there called the Dark Ages, and the reason it was dark because we don't have, we don't have much information about what was going on in those times. Uh, but we have confidence that what Jesus said would happen the gates of hell would not prevail against his kingdom, Matthew 16, 18. We believe that's, that happened. All right, 877-381-4567, questions at collegeview.com. Uh, you know, that's a simple one to answer. We believe if people were fo- have, have always followed the New Testament and uh, the movement in America in, 18, in the 1800s was to restore uh, and encourage people to get back to doing that, but uh, we believe the church has always existed. We cannot, on the other hand, find any reference to a Baptist church. I don't know the, the history, Dad, but when did the Baptist church is relatively young within the last four or five hundred years? Yeah, yeah, it would date back to the to the restoration movement and some of those restorers who, who taught a theology that was followed by these people today who call themselves Baptists. The, the Baptist church couldn't possibly be more than 500 years old, dating back to the very earliest of the, of the uh, reformers. So is the Baptist church then? Uh, wrong. It, it, according to David uh, Martin's uh, is thinking, it would be wrong. Exactly right. All right. 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com. Number two on the list of questions that cannot be answered tonight. If a Church of Christ elder refuses to baptize me, will I be lost until I can find one who will? Do I need Jesus and a Campbellite preacher in order to be saved? If I do, then Jesus is not the only mediator, First Timothy 2.5. And the only and the Holy Spirit is not the only administrator. First Corinthians two thirteen of salvation. The Church of Christ preacher is necessary to salvation, or he is performing an act, a saving act on me when he baptizes me. Is this not blasphemy against Jesus Christ and the Holy Ghost? Your answer to that question. Well, that's just based upon uh, uh, an obvious misunderstanding or purposeful misrepresentation of what we believe. I don't know anybody who believes that a Church of Christ elder has to baptize you or a Church of Christ preacher has to baptize you in order for your baptism to be effective to your salvation. Let me state this very plainly. I don't think we can move on from this question pretty rapidly, Jacob. Nobody that I know has ever taught that. I don't know where he came up with that idea 
But that is absolutely not true to anything that we teach or believe. I would state, I would go, I would go pretty far out on this then, Jacob. The New Testament provides absolutely no qualifications for the man who baptizes you. None. The, the Bible places no requirement or qualification upon the one who does the baptizing. Uh, and Because if you think about it, that would make an absolutely unworkable arrangement. In other words, if the guy who baptizes me has to be right, then in order for him to be right, he would have to be sure that the guy who baptized him was right, and you'd have to be able to provide an unbroken chain of qualified people all the way back to the first century day of Pentecost if, if that was the requirement. And if any place back there in those last 2,000 years there was one individual who baptized who was unqualified to do so, then every subsequent baptism would be ineffectual. And and God is way too wise to ever establish a methodology like that. But we simply don't believe that. Nobody that I know ever taught that. I would go so far as to say the New Testament places absolutely no qualification upon the one who does the baptizing. Now, the question of if he if someone will not baptize me, uh, will I still need to be baptized in order to be saved? And the answer to that is absolutely yes. My question to David uh, Martin would be, if Ananias had refused to baptize Saul, would he still have had sins that needed to be washed away? In Acts chapter 22, verse 16, Ananias said, And now why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. And Paul decides that he wants to do that, but Ananias says, no, I'm not going to do it. Does Paul still have sins that need to be washed away? Yes, he's still in his sins. He still need, He needs to find somebody who will baptize him because he's, he's in his sins until he's been baptized. We're going to talk more about that in some of these subsequent questions. But, yes, if, if anybody, and, of course, that person would be responsible for refusing to, to provide that service. I think I, you know, that, that person will answer to God for not being willing to baptize one who is a, a legitimate candidate for baptism. And so God will judge that man. But if if I can't find a person to baptize me at first request, then I need to keep requesting because baptism is necessary for salvation, as we will see. Let's go on to question number three before our break. If the water pipes broke and the baptistry was bone dry, would my salvation have to wait until the plumber showed up? If I were to die before then, would I go to hell? If obedience to water baptism is the means of forgiveness of sins, then I would. Well, he, he's trying to answer his own question there. He didn't give us room to answer the question. Uh, if the water pipes were broken, the baptistry was bone dry, there are other reservoirs of water. You know, that's not the only place in the world. We're not, by the way, we're not saying you have to be baptized in the Church of Christ baptistry either. We find no New Testament requirement on what kind of water, what place, what, a natural body of water, a river of water, a lake of water, an artificial pool of water. There's no New Testament requirement on what kind of place where you are baptized. And so if, if the baptistry is dry, there are other resources available. I've baptized people in bathtubs. There's plenty of places where you can baptize someone. But the answer is, yes, until you're baptized, you're still in your sins and you're lost. Let me pose the question to David Martin this way. If the water pipes in the rock, uh, Solid Rock Baptist Church broke right in the middle of his sermon when he was getting ready to convict someone, of their sin and promote uh, prompt faith in that person. He didn't get that far. The pipes in the solid, and they started leaking through the ceiling. They had to right. evacuate. They were the running building. out of the building. They had to evacuate. The and building. this guy, who his goal, he would he would have listened to David Martin and he would have believed. Therefore, David would say he would be saved. But he didn't get that far. He didn't get his sermon done. That guy. He's running out of the building. He trips on the steps, going out the door, and he falls and busts his head open, and he dies. 
Is that guy going to go to hell? Yeah. In other words, if he had heard the whole sermon, he would have believed, but the sermon didn't get done, and the guy didn't get to hear enough to to, to reach the point of faith, didn't get far enough to make his confession, didn't get far enough to pray the sinner's prayer or to ask Jesus to come into his heart because they had this calamity at the building. The pipe's broken, the place is being flooded, and they're running out to, uh, before the ceiling falls in on them. And he falls and he dies. That's a great question. He falls and he dies before he had reached the point of faith. Is is he lost in his sins? These hypothetical questions. Well, hypothetical questions don't prove anything, by the way. All right. Uh, and and so you know, let's make a reasonable argument about baptism. But that one doesn't prove anything. Eight seven seven three eight one four five six seven. Questions at collegeview.com. We'll continue answering the questions that the Church of Christ preacher can't answer on the other side of the break. Don't go anywhere. We'll be back right after this. Have you checked out all of the resources on collegeview.com lately? Check it out now while you listen to these important messages. The virtual Bible study will be right back after this. Hello. Hey, Matt. No, I don't have any plans for Friday night. What are you doing? Oh, I won't be able to go with you to watch that movie. Because, Matt, the movie is rated R. Hey, why don't you just come over and hang out at my house Friday night? Great, I'll see you there. Being pleasing to God means that you may have to be different than the crowd. But don't be afraid to stand up for what's right. You just might find it is easier than what you expect. A message brought to you by College of Church of Christ. This is Stephen Nicholson, a member of the College of Church of Christ, and I want to invite you to be a regular participant on the virtual Bible study. Your input by way of emails and phone calls are always welcome during the live program. We're also open to your suggestions about possible topics for discussion on upcoming editions of the program. We'd love to hear from you anytime. Use your internet connection for something good. Listen to the virtual Bible study every week. Now, back to the program. And welcome back to the virtual Bible study tonight. We're glad you're a part of the program. We look forward to hearing from you at 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com or join in the chat room. And if you're listening on our audio stream tonight, would you please uh, send us a message or let us know some way that you were able to hear us tonight. We believe we may have some problems with our audio-only feed tonight. The, the Ustream feed is working fine, but the audio-only may be having a, a few glitches um, in our setup. So we'd like to hear from you if you're listening to the audio-only feed tonight. We're talking about questions that the Church of Christ preacher cannot clearly answer, and we're on number four tonight. This is, by the way, if you just joined us, this is an essay that was written by David Martin, pastor of the Solid Rock Baptist Church in Bartlett, Tennessee, he says he's got a bunch of answers that a Church of Christ preacher cannot clearly answer. We're trying to answer. And uh, we hope that at some point he'll be able to hear these answers or respond to them. Uh, this may lead to something else. Maybe it will. We'll see. Uh, but I, I'm not put off by his questions at all, and I don't feel like having trouble answering them. Number four on his list, if my past sins are forgiven when I am baptized in water, is and it is possible for me to lose my salvation and go to hell after being baptized, then wouldn't my best chance of going to heaven be to drown in the baptistry before I had a chance to sin so as to be lost again? If I wanted to be absolutely sure of heaven, isn't that my best opportunity? Well, uh, that, I, I just I, I, that the way that question is worded is just—I mean, it's it, I, we can we can flip it the other way. If if I can't lose my salvation, wouldn't it be better for me not to go to the Solid Rock Baptist Church and 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 attend church there? I mean, if I can't lose my salvation, would it, wouldn't it be better for me to throw my Bible away and not spend any time reading? Well, 
I, there's lots of ways to answer it. Jesus said that he came that we might have life and have it more abundantly. I believe the abundant life that Jesus offers is not only in heaven but also here. And and so, you know, we believe that our lives are blessed and enriched and we become a child of God through obedience to the gospel. Our, uh, everything is 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 uh, positive and beneficial and wonderful and nobody would want to die as soon as they were baptized. It's, it's kind of a foolishly worded question. What underlies it is the question of can I lose my salvation after I've been baptized? I think I think part of the answer, though, too, is the attitude that Paul had in Philippians 121, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. I, yeah. I want to live after I, after I am raised to walk in newness of life after my baptism so that I can serve Read that God. again. Uh, Philippians 121, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. So, uh, that's the attitude that we have, and that's why we want to go on living this, so we can serve God. But underlying this question is the question that's going to come up in some of these follow-ups. Uh, underlying this question is the idea of can one lose his salvation after he's been baptized? The answer to that is yes, you can. The Bible plainly states that We'll get can. to that in question number five. Right. Question number five, if as a Christian I can sin so as to lose my salvation, just what sin or sins will place me in such danger? Is it possible to know at what point one has committed such a sin and become lost again? Please be specific and clear. give clear Bible references. We will be specific and give clear Bible references. It is possible for us to sin in such a way to be lost. And, and if you want me to specify the sin, I'll, I'll, I'll specify it, all and any. I could be lost eternally by committing any sin, any sin that I refuse to repent of, any sin that I continue in, any sin that I don't obtain subsequent forgiveness for is enough to cause me to lo- be lost eternally in hell. I, I, I don't... I, if you can list every sin, and if you can make a list of every conceivable sin that a man might commit, then I'll sign off on them all. Any single one of them would be sufficient to be to cause your soul to be lost eternally in hell. And otherwise, David Barton would have to sign off on every sin and say you can commit it and still go to heaven. And some Baptist preachers have. By and the I way. imagine David might, but uh, he—that's that's the uh, that's the other side that uh, you you got to have it one way or the other. Now, do you want specific? No, but let's, let's emphasize that a minute. In other words, we're saying any sin could cause a, a Christian to lose his salvation and go to hell. And, but as you said, Dave, David Martin would have to say a Christian can commit any sin. You name it, just how horrendous and awful and terrible it is. He can rape and murder and rob and plunder, commit adultery and all kinds of perverted fornication. And uh, I mean, you, you just, just name the most horrible, wretched acts of man that you could possibly conceive of. And David Martin would have to take the position that if that man was a saved person before he did that, that he would remain a saved person. He, he has to take that position. Uh, the Bible clearly denies it. Now, for specifics, uh, Galatians chapter 5 would tell us some, would tell us that if we're circumcised as a means of our justification, then that will cause us to be lost. Galatians chapter 5, verse 2, Behold, I, Paul, say unto you that if you be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. So there's one. Uh, or just going back to the old law for our justification in general, Galatians and, chapter 5, verse 4. And emphasize, of course, the circumcision he's talking about there is a circumcision as a religious right to, to obligate it, to bind it. And the claim that you must do that in order to be saved is, is a sin that he says in verse 4 of Galatians 5 will, will remove you from being in the grace of God. You fall from grace. Fall from grace. Another specific sin that David asked for would be uh, one that we find in First Timothy chapter five, verse eight: failing to provide for our own. If any provide not for his own, he is denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. That person was a, a, a believer. He has denied the faith, and now he is worse than an infidel. He's not an infidel. He's worse than an infidel. 
he has uh, lost. So there's some specifics. You're giving some specifics, but I'm I'm willing to go farther than that, Jacob. I'm willing to say, name the sin. I say, yes, that one will do it. Whatever sin, you name the sin, and I will tell you, yes, that sin can cause you to be lost forever in hell. If you're a saved Christian and you commit that sin, name it, any sin. I don't care. Whatever one you want to name, name that sin. And if you're a child of God and you commit that sin and you fail to repent of it and obtain subsequent forgiveness, you will, you can be lost eternally in hell for that sin. Here's another list in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning in verse 9. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. There's another list. David Martin might say you could do those sins. and He'd have to. He'd have to say you could commit those sins and remain the child of God and saved and on the way to heaven. The, the, there's a lot of verses that teach that a child of God can lose his salvation. One of the ones that is so clear, we've referenced it before on the virtual Bible study, is Second Peter chapter 2, beginning verse 20. It says, if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Stop there for a minute. These, he's describing people, Jacob, who have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That's somebody who's saved, right? They've escaped the pollution world. They have a knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And they are again entangled therein. Now, in other words, they were unentangled. They got entangled again in the things of the world. He says, the latter end is worse with them than the beginning. For it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they have known it, to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. But it has happened unto them, according to the true proverb, the dog is turned to his own vomit again, and the sow that was washed to her wallowing in the mire. I would challenge David Martin or any other Baptist who believes in the, in the idea of once saved, always saved, or the impossibility of apostasy. I just challenge them to explain that passage. That's just too plain, too clear, too obvious. All right. Uh, another passage, real quick, another passage that teaches a Christian can so sin as to be eternally lost. In Hebrews chapter 6, beginning verse 4, uh, it says, It is impossible for those that were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come, if they shall fall away, to renew them again into repentance, seeing they crucified themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to an open shame. Notice, it clearly describes people who are saved. They've tasted the heavenly gift, made partakers of the Holy Ghost, uh, tasted the good word of God, the powers of the world to come, and it says they can fall away. Pretty clear. All right. Uh, this may be a mistake because we have a lot of uh, people in the chat room tonight who could not comment before, but I have turned the moderation off, and you can chat and uh, comment without being logged in tonight. So if you want to... We be, don't always have that option. Uh, no, it, it comes and goes at its own free will, but uh, it's there tonight, and so you're ready to go. If you're not signed in tonight, you can join in on the discussion. And again, and again, if you're if you're able to pick up the just the audio feed, we want to hear from you because we think we got a problem on maybe just the audio. The video is working. A lot of people are watching us by video feed tonight, but if you're just trying to listen, maybe you've got a dial-up connection and you're trying to listen... If you can or can't pick us up, send us an email. Just let us know what no, we're getting they out. couldn't pick us up, so they won't know that. They won't know that I'm talking to them. That's right. Okay. Uh, we look forward to hearing from you. All right. The next question tonight is number seven on the list. Uh, no, number six. If I, as a Christian, if as a Christian I can fall and lose my salvation, is it possible to regain it again? If so, how? If God takes away my salvation, doesn't that make him an Indian giver? How could I ever know for sure if I was saved or lost? I think the easiest way to answer that is to look at a specific example of such a situation. A, a person who did fall and uh, commit sin 
clearly, his case is clearly taught in Acts 8. We refer to him as Simon the sorcerer. He was in the city of Samaria. And you may remember that he tried to purchase the, the gift. The, uh, the, he wanted to purchase the ability whereby if he laid hands on someone, they would receive the Holy Ghost. He saw the apostles had that ability, that they could impart the Holy Spirit, the miraculous gifts of the Holy Spirit by the laying on of their hands. He wanted to buy that ability from them. And uh, Peter responded to him, Acts 8, verse 20. Peter said to him, Thy money perish with thee, because thou hast thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money. Thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter, for thy heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent, therefore, of this thy wickedness, and pray, God, if perhaps the thought of thine heart may be forgiven thee. For I perceive that thou art in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. Then then answered Simon and said, Pray ye to the Lord for me, that none of these things which he has spoken come upon me. Now, we probably should have prefaced that by saying this Simon the sorcerer was a saved man by all estimates. We know that he. it says in verse 13 of Acts 8, he believed. So David Martin would say he, he was saved when he believed. The, the Holy Spirit, by inspiration, said he was a believer. He believed, and he was also baptized. So he was a baptized believer. This guy was saved. But when he committed this sin, Peter described him as having a heart that is not right. Uh, and, and also he said that he was um, how to describe it? He was in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. Pretty bad shape. And and yet Peter said, pray that these things might be forgiven thee. And so, yes, a Christian can regain his salvation. A Christian who sins can lose his salvation, but he can he can be put back in a right relationship with God by repentance and prayer. And go to First John chapter 1, verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, that is written to Christians uh, in the context of 1 John chapter 1. And we must then understand the instruction that if we fall away, that we can be forgiven and be in a right relationship with God again if we will ask or we will confess our sins to him. Let us know your thoughts. We're going to take a break and get this week's bullet point. And when we get back, we're halfway through the program, and we're doing pretty good. We're halfway through the questions. Some of them get a little longer, though. Well, we'll have to hurry through those. Don't go anywhere. The virtual study continues right after this. After these important messages, we'll be back to take your comments. Email them during this break. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's bullet point. In this age of modern media, we have unprecedented opportunities to look at, listen to, and participate in evil things. And with the rapid advance of technology, we can engage in these evil deeds with relative anonymity. In years gone by, if there was a desire to engage in these sordid and sinful activities, it was necessary to go out in public places to do so. Pornography was available, but only at newsstands and the like. Filthy movies were out there, but you had to go to the XXX movie house to see them. No more. A person can sit in front of his computer screen and quickly access via the Internet all manner of pornography, and no one can see him do it. Chat rooms allow perverted persons the ability to openly discuss their twisted passions with total strangers, and they are out of public view when they're doing so. With cable and satellite TV, it is possible to receive all manner of filthy programming and watch it right there in the privacy of your own home. This new accessibility with anonymity has already served as a downfall to many, including not a few Christians. We all need to be on guard about this powerful temptation. Never forget that God in heaven sees and knows all that you think and do. Ecclesiastes 12:14 says, For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. Hebrews 4, verse 13 says, Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. 
Are you engaged in things that you would not want others to find out about? If so, you should know two things. First, God already knows. And secondly, in the final judgment, everyone will know, for he will, quote, bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the heart. 1 Corinthians 4, verse 5. Christian, be careful. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. I am Nestor Sanchez from Arica, Chile, in South America, and I love to listen to the virtual Bible study. And this moment, I invite you to participate in this program, too. Gracias. A streaming Bible study. Why didn't I think of that? Now back to the guys. Welcome back to the program tonight. We're live on your computer, and we're looking forward to hearing from you. This program is brought to you by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. If you'd like to find out more about the College View Church of Christ, visit collegeview.com or the virtual Bible study Com. We look forward to hearing from you soon. We're talking about questions that Church of Christ preachers cannot clearly answer, and we're trying to give a clear answer of them tonight. We're trying to go to the Scriptures for our answers rather than human reasoning, and uh, don't, I haven't seen a lot of dancing around. I haven't seen a lot of screwball theology here, but maybe you have. If you disagree with the things that we've said, let us know your thoughts. We look forward to hearing from you on the phone over email tonight. What about number seven on the list tonight? After becoming a Christian... Are there any sins that will put me beyond the point of no return so that I cannot regain salvation? What sin or sins will put me in such jeopardy so that after becoming a Christian, I would be doomed to hell without any recourse? Please be specific and give me clear Bible references. Well, the the only passage that I know that would refer to a sin that can't be forgiven is what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12, beginning verse 31. He said, Wherefore I say to you, all matter sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men, but the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost shall not be forgiven unto men. And whosoever shall speak a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him, but whosoever speaketh against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven him, neither in this world, neither in the world to come. And so Jesus did say there's a sin that a person can't be forgiven of. Now, as I understand that, and that's, I don't know if we've ever discussed that specifically on the Virgin Bible study before or not, Jacob, but as I understand that, Jesus was saying that blasphemy against the Holy Spirit it, it can't be forgiven, and I can understand the reason why, because the Holy Spirit is the one who was responsible for revealing the truth of God and confirming it to mankind. Therefore, if I blaspheme the Holy Spirit by, by denying his power and his work in the world, then I don't, have, I don't have any way to come to his word, to believe the truth, and be obedient to it. And so I think the reason why a person who blasphemes, blasphemes against the Holy Spirit is committing a sin that can't be forgiven is because he's, he's at, at taking himself away from that mechanism by which we learn the truth and can come to obedience and salvation. So, uh, yes, there is a sin that you can sin that you, that, that, will, that you can't be forgiven with, with that statement from Jesus. Well, another passage that we might refer to is Hebrews chapter 6, verses 4 through 6. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost and have tasted the good word of God that the, and the powers of the world to come, if they shall fall away to renew them again into repentance, seeing they crucify themselves, to themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to an open shame. There's an indication there, Dad, that our consciences can become so seared, our hearts can become so corrupt, that after we've been saved, we can get to a point where we cannot be prompted to re- repentance again because we just have no interest in serving God. Right. And in, in 1 John chapter 5, verse 16, 
John said, If any man see his brother sin a sin which is not unto death, he shall ask, and he shall give him life for them that sin not unto death. There is a sin unto death. I do not say that he shall pray for it. Uh, so, in other words, if if I commit a sin and I won't repent of it, it's a sin unto death. And there's no reason, in other words, if I'm, if I'm in that position, Jacob, and I won't repent, there's no reason for you to pray for me that I'd be forgiven. But it... Uh, if we will repent, we can be forgiven. I don't know of any, again, I would go so far as to say I don't know of any specific sin that if I will not repent of it, I can't be forgiven. And a question for David Martin that he cannot clearly answer is what does Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4 uh, through 6 say mean if it does not mean that we can fall away? It says, if they shall fall away to renew them again to repentance. If someone cannot fall away, what is Hebrews chapter 6, verses 4 through 6 talking about? We'd like to know that. Number Seven has been answered. Number eight, if I have committed some sin, whether in thought, word, or deed, one minute before a fatal car crash, would I go to hell if I did not have time to repent of it? And please just don't say that it is up to God without giving me a specific Bible reference. So we have the infamous car crash, one minute, or he's, he's pretty lenient here. Uh, some people uh, who want to uh, try and trap someone will say, what, one second or one millisecond before the fatal car crash? What do you say about uh, this hypothetical question if someone dies one minute after they sin? Well, again, uh, in answer to that, it's, it's a hypothetical, Jacob. And as we said, hypotheticals um, usually don't prove anything. Uh, you might ask, you know, it, it's it's. We're not objecting to the question, but hypothetical things don't prove a, an ultimate outcome. Answer the question. If a person sins and dies without repenting of that sin and seeking forgiveness for it, this, we, we cannot go to the Scriptures and say, don't worry about it. We cannot go there and say, well, that's no problem. He shouldn't, it's no concern. We can't go there. We can't teach what the Scripture doesn't teach. Now, you ask me about the man who commits a sin, what should he do? I can tell you. He needs to repent and pray for forgiveness. Now, what if it was one year later? Now, one year later, he had a car crash, and it had been a year since he committed the sin and he hadn't repented of it. Would he be lost? What if it was 10 years later? Time doesn't matter. The time factor isn't an issue. If you commit a sin and you die before you repent of it, then we can offer you no hope from the Scripture. We can, well, can, can you be saved while you're in the call of bitterness and the bond of iniquity? Back to Acts 8. Acts chapter 8. And the same question we ask about the pipes is pertinent here. What if the guy driving the car was going to a Bible study with David Martin, where David Martin would convince him of his sins and his need to be saved. Now, David Martin wouldn't convince him of what he needed to do to be saved because David Martin does not understand the truth on that. But David Martin was going to, to give this, uh, help this guy understand the Scripture so that he could have faith. Would David Martin say that that guy who was killed in the car crash one minute before he got to David Martin's house for the Bible study is going to go to hell? I think David, if he's going to be consistent, would have to say yes. Yeah. And so this question doesn't prove anything. Exactly right. But the point of it is, the Bible plainly teaches that when we sin, even though we are, if we're a saved person and we sin, then there's something we got to do to get right with God. And and the time factor isn't an issue. It could be one minute, one hour, one week, one month, one year, ten years. If you have sinned without repenting, then we can offer you no hope from the Scripture. All right, 877-381-4567, questions at collegeview.com. Number nine on the list tonight, why does the Church of Christ insist that their name is scriptural when it cannot be found anywhere in the Bible? The church 
is referred to as the Church of God eight times in the Bible, but never is it called the Church of Christ. The verse they use is Romans 16, 16, but it doesn't say, quote, Church of Christ, end quote. Where does the Bible call the church the Church of Christ? Well, let me read it. Before we do that, David Martin is on very shaky turf here. In fact, I don't think he has any turf to stand on because I cannot find solid rock Baptist church anywhere in the New Testament. So where does he have enough ground to stand on to to make this claim? Exactly right. All right. I want to read and answer a a listener in Cookville, Tennessee, Larry, uh, had had written a a lengthy answer to these. He'd he'd found this essay long before us and had written a a lengthy response to these questions. I want to read his answer to this one. Uh, I think all of his answers are good. Uh, Let me read this one. Uh, Before we deal with the question as to the advisability of using the designation Church of Christ, perhaps we should establish that it is a scriptural label. In 1 Thessalonians 2.14, the Spirit cited the churches of God. However, when he wanted to speak of one such church, he spoke of the church of God. So numerous congregations were called churches of God. One congregation was called the church of God, 1 Corinthians 1, verse 2. Thus, the singular of churches of God is church of God. In Romans 16, 16, the Holy Spirit mentioned the churches of Christ. Since the singular of churches of God is church of God, what is the singular of churches of Christ? Church of Christ. So... Romans 16, 16, it says the churches of Christ salute you. It was talking about a, a plurality of different local congregations. The churches of Christ salute you. What would one of them be? It would be a church of Christ. So it is clearly a scriptural designation. He, said, he goes on to say, yes, numerous terms are used to identify God's people in the New Testament, but not one time does scripture say anything about a Baptist church or Baptist churches. As a matter of fact, in no literature, whether sacred or secular, written before 1600 A.D., Can one find any reference to a Baptist church, either singular or plural? Perhaps it is fair to ask, since since uh, uh, David Martin has is is it David? I want to say David Martin. Since David Martin is a member of the Baptist Church, where does the Bible or any literature written before 1600 A.D. mention either a Baptist church or Baptist churches? We have answered from the Scripture regarding the Church of Christ. Now let him do the same if he can. So I, I I agree with you, Jake. If he's on shaky ground criticizing us for using a name that we can prove is in the Scripture. But by the way, we should say, we're not insisting on that name. We are insisting that the church ought to be referred to in a scriptural fashion. And as as Larry in Cookville says, uh, churches of God or church of God is a scriptural designation. So we couldn't object if someone wanted to say, well, this is a church of God. It is a church of God. It's a church that belongs to God. It's a church of Christ. It's a church that belongs to Christ. So we don't object to those kind of designations. That phrase, Church of Christ, is a descriptive. It tells what it is. It's not a denominational name. It's a description. It's a church that belongs to Jesus. It's the Church of Christ. But, uh, again, you know, the, we don't find Baptist church in the New Testament at all. This is a scriptural designation. All we're saying is we need to call the, na- we need to call the church by a scriptural, scriptural designation. Church of Christ or Churches of Christ is a scriptural designation. Baptist Church clearly is not. All right, 877-381-4567, questions at collegeview.com. One more before we get to the break tonight. That will leave us ten on or three on the other side of the break. Number 10, if the Church of Christ claims to worship God only as authorized by Scripture because they sing only and do not use instrumental music, 
then where do they get the authority to use hymnals, pitch pipes, pews, and indoor baptistries in their worship services? If the answer is that they are aids to worship, where does the Bible allow for that? Where is your required authorization? If a pitch pipe can be used to aid the uh, worship for the song service in the Church of Christ, then why can't a piano be an aid to worship for Baptists who may need more help in singing? Well, he answered his own question again. Our answer to the authority for hymnals, pitch pipes, pews, and indoor baptistries is that they are expedients. They are aids to worship. We're commanded to worship. Therefore, there needs to be a place for worship. Uh, There needs to be facilities to to accommodate such worship. We're to sing and worship to God. When we use hymnals, pitch pipes, and so forth, we're still singing. That's what we're doing. So they are clearly aids. An aid, in other words, when we have an aid, it doesn't change what we're doing. We are still singing. We're not. We're not doing anything else. We're singing. That when, when we hold, when we all hold the same songbook in our hands, so that we can stay uh, on the same verse of a song and and sing the same words in unison. That's an aid. But what are we doing? We're singing. That's what we're commanded to do. We're doing what we're commanded to do and what we're authorized to do. But if we start playing an instrument, then we've changed the act. Now we're singing and playing. It's not the same act anymore. It's different. Uh, and so. Um, we might ask uh, David Martin, in the Lord's Supper, in the observance of the Lord's Supper, uh, could we change what we do? Could, in, instead of having unleavened bread and, and fruit of the vine, let's say, you know, you know that, that, that unleavened bread is pretty dry and tasteless. Could we spread some peanut butter and jelly on it? Would that be okay? To, to aid it in going down a little easier? If he says no, then we want to know why he would say no. I think you would say no because it changes it. It's not the same anymore. When you add something to it and make it different, and when you add an instrument, you're not singing anymore. You're not just singing anymore. You've added to it. You've changed the act. All right. We'll quickly take a break and go back uh, to the questions on the other side. We have not heard from you on the phones tonight. The phone line is open. We'd love to hear from you, 877-381-4567. Or if you'd like to send us an email, send us an email to questions at collegeview.com. Don't go anywhere. The virtual Bible study continues right after this. These guys are doing all of the talking. We need to hear from you. Call in now. The virtual Bible study continues right after this. Hi, I'm Wade Shelton. In 1 Peter 3.15, the scripture says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. You see, we believe here at College View that we should be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks us. And I believe that we are dedicated to this cause. That's why we here at College View bring you the virtual Bible study each week. Our hope is that you will join us each week here on the virtual Bible study in hopes of strengthening your faith so that you will be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you a reason of the hope that is in you. Please join us here every Thursday night on the virtual Bible study. I know that it's worth an hour of your time. Wow, this Internet thing is really growing. And what could be better than using the Internet for Bible study? I guess that's what they were thinking when they dreamed up the virtual Bible study. Good idea, don't you think? Quit checking your email. The commercials are over and the virtual Bible study is ready to roll. Take it away, guys. Welcome back to the virtual Bible study tonight. We're answering questions that a Church of Christ preacher cannot clearly answer tonight. We're doing the according impossible. According to Pastor David Martin of the Solid Rock Baptist Church in Barton, Tennessee. That's right. 
And we look forward to David perhaps listening to this program. And uh, if he wants to respond, we would welcome his response to our responses to his questions. There are 13 of them, and we've gone through 10. We've got three more to go, and we're looking forward to hearing from you. If you'd like to join in on the phone or over email tonight. Number 11, the Church of Christ, and this is a long one that you were referencing to. The Church of Christ teaches that a sinner is forgiven of sin when he is baptized in water by a Campbellite elder. Stop there. We already dealt with that, but we got to stop there. I mean, we didn't say that. Nobody that I know ever said that. Now, if you if you say the Church of Christ, the Church of Christ, no, let's say it this way. The Scriptures teach, this is what we believe, the Scriptures teach that a sinner is forgiven of sin when he is baptized in water for the remission of sins. As we said earlier, no qualification of the baptizer is stated in the New Testament. Let's talk about some passages that, that teach that again to make sure that we're clear on the subject that the Scriptures do teach that one is saved when they are, uh, submit to the act of baptism, Acts chapter 22, verse 16 that we referenced, arise and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Why tarry to be baptized? Rise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Acts 2.38, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins. First Peter chapter 3, verse 21, the like figure whereinto even baptism doth also now save us. Mark 16.16, 16, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. And on and on it goes. Uh, so yes, the, the, the scriptures teach that a sinner is forgiven of sin when he's baptized in water for the remission of sins. Now, if you want a real clear answer, that has to be preceded by faith, repentance, and confession of a faith in Jesus Christ. When those things precede it, and baptism is, 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 is uh, done for the remission of sins, we believe that's the point at which one's sins are forgiven. Let's go on to question 11. The Church of Christ teaches that a sinner is forgiven of sin when he is baptized in water by a Campbellite elder. Where does the Bible teach that water baptism is required in order to have one's sin forgiven? We, we just gave several scriptures to teach that. Every time the phrase, for the remission of sins, occurs, it is speaking of the fact that sins have been forgiven previously. We can talk about that. The Bible plainly teaches that the forgiveness of sins is conditioned upon repentance and faith in Christ, and never upon water baptism. Well, let's stop a minute. That's absolutely not true. Every time the phrase for the remission of sins occurs, it is speaking of the fact that sins have been forgiven previously. That's just absolutely not true. In Matthew chapter 26, when Jesus was instituting the Lord's Supper, remember, Jesus had not yet died on the cross. Okay, what he's referencing here is Acts 2, 38, and be baptized for the remission of sins. He says... That for there means that the sins have already been forgiven. You should be baptized because your sins have been forgiven in Acts 2.38. The, the word for there is the Greek word ice. If you were to read, write it in English letters, it would be E-I-S. For means unto. And the same phrase is used in Matthew 26. It's identical in the Greek. I'm not a Greek scholar at all, but I can, I can use the reference works. And you, if you don't believe me, check it out yourself. It is the identical Greek expression, same construction. Jesus, when he was instituting the Lord's Supper, he took the cup, gave thanks, and gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all of it, for this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But Jesus shed his blood because remissions of sin had previously already been achieved. No, he shed his blood unto, to make possible, in order that men could receive the forgiveness of sins. So he's wrong when he says the the phrase, for the remission of sins, always refers to the fact that sins have been previously forgiven. If that is the case, mankind's sins were forgiven before Jesus ever died on the cross. It was unnecessary for him to die on the cross, according to David Martin. 
He says, he goes on, the Bible plainly teaches that the forgiveness of sins is conditioned upon repentance of sin and faith in Christ, never upon water baptism. We'd refer him again to the passages we've already cited. Where does the Bible teach that forgiveness of sins is linked with water baptism when Christ made the statement in Matthew 26, 28, for their missions of sins, it had to be because they had been forgiven all through the Old Testament. Christ shed his blood because God forgave repentant and believing sinners for thousands of years before the Son of God came to take away sins and to redeem us and pay the debt with his own precious blood. How can one say that the remission of sins means in order to obtain, in light of the fact that God never uses the phrase in that sense? Do you want to stop there? you want to keep on going? In the Old Testament, God forgave sin on the basis of blood sacrifice, Hebrews 9.22. The Old Testament saints had their sins remitted, i.e. forgiven, but they were not redeemed until Christ came and shed his blood at Calvary. Their sins were covered, Romans 4, verse 7, Psalm 32, 1. But the sinner was not cleared of his guilt until the cross. Before Calvary, the sins of believers were pardoned, but they were not paid for until the crucifixion. When Christ said, it is finished, all sin, past, present, and future was paid for, and the plan of salvation was completed, so that whosoever believeth in him shall receive the remission of sins, Acts 10.43 and Acts 2.38, the people were baptized because their sins were forgiven at Calvary when Jesus said, Father, forgive them. And they received the blessing of forgiveness when they repented of their sin, of rejecting Christ, and accepted him as their personal Savior and Lord. Friend, heaven or hell depends on what you believe about this. Now, we need to go to Acts chapter 2, verse 38, because he's referencing it there, where they are told to repent and be baptized for the remission of sins. Basic English construction of that verse tells us that what they have to do what for repentance gives them will give the, the same thing baptism will give them. If, if repentance is so that they can be saved, then baptism is as well, because repentance yeah. and baptism are linked by the conjunction and. So look at that verse again, everybody. Acts 2.38, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. Now he says that for remission of sins says, how does he say it? He's the fact it. that sins have been previously forgiven previously. So be baptized because your your sins have been forgiven previously, right? That's what he wants that to say. Be yeah. baptized because your sins have been forgiven previously. Wait a minute. Those, there's another word there. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins. So if you're baptized because your sins have been forgiven previously, then then you must. What it's saying is you should repent also. Because your sins, but are your good. repentance is not conditioned upon your salvation. Your salvation is not conditioned on that. He's, well, he's saying repent. He's saying you should repent of your sins because they've already been forgiven. He would have forgiveness coming before repentance, remission of sins before repentance. You got to have it. You got to take it all or none. If you, if he's saying Acts two thirty eight means be baptized because your sins have already been forgiven, then he has to say go ahead and repent too, because your sins have already been forgiven. In other words, sinners, unrepentant sinners, already have their sins forgiven. Well, the, he doesn't believe that, and we don't either. But the, with his with his twisting of Acts 2.38, that's what he has to say is the case. Absolutely. And simply does not uh, line up with what he's saying. We need to hurry because we only have a few minutes left. Are you finished with the Yeah, yeah there's lots more that could be said about that. But we'll have the whole to, program, yeah. and the rest of these are as well. Salvation is not by works, number 12. If salvation is not by works of righteousness, which we have done, and baptism is a work of righteousness, then how can water baptism be a part of salvation? In Titus 3, verse 5, he referenced in Matthew 3, 16. In the Bible, we are saved by grace, and grace does not involve human effort or merit. Grace is grace, and work is work. Just read Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9. 
in Romans chapter 11, verse 16. We agree wholeheartedly with Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, and Romans chapter 11, verse 16. Let me quickly come in on Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. We believe that passage. The kind of works that he's talking about are the kind of works that would allow you to boast. He's talking about works of merit. You can't earn your salvation. Paul says you can't do enough works so that you could brag and boast and say, I've earned my salvation. We agree. There are no works of merit. There's no amount of work of merit. There's nothing you could meritoriously do that would earn your salvation. Salvation is not by works in that fashion. And so we're saying there are no works of merit. You can't be saved that way. But there there are works that we do which comply with the conditions of God's will, which which demonstrate our faith uh, in what the Scriptures teach. For instance, in the book of James, chapter 2, this is, this is surely a passage that David Martin and every other Baptist hates to have referenced. But in uh, James, chapter 2, Verse 17, it says, Faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. James says, Our obedience, our works of obedience, demonstrate our faith. And he goes on to say, You see then how that by works a man is justified. In other words, obey works of obedience, not works of merit. By works a man is justified, and not by faith only. Verse 26, for as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. So you can't, when you hear the word works, you've got to understand contextually what's under consideration. We agree, no works of merit can earn your salvation, but works of obedience are necessary to demonstrate our faith, and without it, our faith is dead. Jesus said in, Matthew, in Mark chapter 16, verse 16, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. David Martin says, He that believeth shall be saved. You can decide who you want to believe there. We'll take Jesus' instruction. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Number 13, again, is a whole program, but we'll take it quickly. The Church of Christ teaches that obeying the gospel includes being baptized in water in order to be saved. If this is true, then how is it that the converts of Acts 10 were saved by faith before and without water baptism? The Bible says in Acts 5, verse 32, that only those who obey God may receive the Holy Ghost. So what did those in Acts 10 do to obey and receive the Holy Ghost and be saved? In the light of Acts 10, 34 through 48, and he references some other passages, how can anyone honestly believe that water baptism is necessary to salvation? What do you think about that? Well, uh, uh, real quickly, again, that's an interesting, uh, that whole thing is interesting, but I, I do not believe that Cornelius was saved when the Holy Spirit, I don't believe the Holy Ghost coming upon him was necessarily a sign of his salvation. There are others who received a manifestation of the Holy Spirit. Who Balaam's donkey was moved by the Holy Spirit to speak. King Saul was moved to prophesy by the Holy Spirit when he was in a clearly sinful condition and alienated from God. So it's a presumption that the fact that Cornelius received the Holy Spirit was a sign of his salvation. He received the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 10, verse 44. While Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Spirit fell on them that heard the word. Uh, but they were commanded to be baptized in verse 48 of Acts 10. But here's what's interesting. Go over into chapter 11. When, when Peter retells this story, he said Cornelius had been told, Acts 11, verse 13, he showed us how he'd seen an angel in his house which stood and said to him, Send men to Joppa and call for Simon, whose surname is Peter, who shall tell thee words whereby thou and all thy house shall be saved. And as I began to speak, the Holy Ghost fell on them as it did on us in the beginning. 
Peter had just started speaking. How do you get faith? Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Peter had just started speaking. He hadn't spoken enough for that man to have faith. He hadn't heard the word yet. He didn't have faith yet. He, Peter said the Holy Spirit fell on him. As we began speaking, the Holy Spirit fell upon him. Well, David Martin would say he was saved when he believed. He didn't believe yet. He hadn't even heard the word yet. Peter said the Holy Spirit came on when we began speaking. And so it, what proves too much proves nothing at all. David Martin, th this text doesn't prove what David Martin says. If it does, it proves Cornelius was saved before he had faith. He didn't believe that. All right. Well, we've gotten through 13 questions. that You almost thought he might have been right tonight because I think he, he might have been proving that uh, there are 13 questions that uh, Church we can't, of Christ we can't answer in an, an hour. In an hour. Yeah, if he'd added that hour behind <laughs> that, he might have been right. But uh, hopefully the answers that we have given have been helpful. It's a really interesting study, and, and I, 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 was in, I was actually glad to find this essay on the Internet, Jacob. It provides a valuable resource. It's, it's, it's full of misunderstanding and misrepresentation of, of what we believe and what the scriptures teach. We've ignored the chat room tonight, but Chris in the chat room says he would like to see these lists, lists broken up and gone through on several programs because he think it would be an interesting discussion, and it would be an interesting discussion, and, and perhaps we can do that in the future. We would like to. We're out of time, Dad. We would like to tell uh, David Martin. Hopefully he will listen to this program. I think we're going to send him the link. Uh, it, we would like to have his responses to our answers, and yeah. uh, we will open uh, to a discussion, uh, a cordial discussion. We don't believe in ugly discussions here. We've never had them in the past, and we don't want to start now, so we look forward to hearing from David if he would listen to our program. Exactly right. Thank you for your time tonight, Dad. Certainly a beneficial discussion. Yeah, and I enjoyed it. I thought it was very beneficial, and uh, we always enjoy having our, our uh, beliefs questioned and challenged. And if we can't defend what we believe from the Scripture, then that's uh, you know that's that's worth well, that's worthwhile, too. But if we can, then if we show what the Scriptures teach, then what we got to do is come to that and believe it and obey it. All right. Thank you for listening to the program tonight. We hope you benefited from our discussion. We look forward to you being back here next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And in the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study His inspired Word, the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 9.30 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.